Our New Testament, I know, gospel reading is from Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 27. This is one of those famous examples of Jesus getting in trouble for breaking the rules by people who have no idea what the rules were ever there for. All right, before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word. And God, we do ask that this morning, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would help us to better understand who you are and who we are in you. God, that by your word and by your spirit, we would be changed even more today into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. This one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So much there we could unpack. We move on. Our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. As Paul continues his letter to the church in Corinth, he says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let you spend a moment thinking about what it means to fix your eyes on things that are unseen. As we come to our sermon text this morning, I also want us to spend some time thinking about our own lives and the ways in which we tend to do a certain thing. This is something that I think is just common to people, but not always does it serve us well. And that is when we assume that other people will act just like us, for good or for bad. Um... But it tends to work this way, where you start getting upset with somebody before they ever do wrong to you, because if you were in their position, you would probably do wrong to somebody in your position. (laughs) And so you are kind of preemptively upset or mistrustful, and so you start thinking, oh, I bet that person's talking bad about me all over town. Not because they are, but because if you knew what you knew about them, what they know about you, you would be talking about it all over town. 
or uh, you think that they're going to cheat you out of some uh, deal or in some game, and so you get all upset about how they're going to cheat you in this, not because they're actually cheating you, but because you know if you were in their position, maybe you'd do that. And so we tend to have this kind of thing where we project our own issues into them and then assume that they have all the same issues we have and carry forward with that. Now, if you don't tend to do this, my apologies for the accusation. However, (laughs) I think this is one of those things that we tend to do. Um, And like I say, I don't think it serves us well. In fact, I think it's much better when we give the same benefit of the doubt that we wish other people would give to us because we know what it's like to be on the other end of these same kinds of assumptions. This morning we're talking, though, about uh, Jacob in Genesis chapter 33 as Jacob finally makes it back home. Now, we can't talk about him finally making it back home without talking about why he's away from home to begin with. And if you remember, this is Abraham's grandson. There's Abraham who had Isaac who had Jacob. God has promised since Abraham to do amazing things through this family. And that promise has been carried down to Jacob. And then, as we read about Jacob in the earlier chapters of Genesis, we see Jacob, we're not seeing much good stuff coming from him. When he's born, we see him grabbing his brother's heel, their twin brothers, and that is even a, an idiom, a way of talking about someone who is deceitful or a usurper. And you go, that, that's fine. He's a baby. You don't hold that against somebody. So then we skip forward to the next story we see of him. And it's him as uh, an older, uh, maybe young man, but still man nonetheless. And he is cheating his brother out of his birthright what is rightfully his by birth when it comes to the inheritance. And he cheats him out of that by saying, hey, now that you're starving, why don't you just give me that for a bowl of stew? Which he does, and then his brother's upset about it, rightfully so. Well, they skip forward a few more years. And the father is old and uh, is wanting to give a blessing to his oldest son before he dies. And then we see Jacob go in, pretend to be his older brother Esau, and steal his brother's blessing. So the first few stories we hear in the life of Jacob are not things to be copied. They're not things to be praised. They're actually like, really, God, are you sure this is the guy you want to use? But he does. And um, But because of Jacob's wronging his brother again and again, his brother decides that the way to solve this is through murder. And so he's, going, he's planning to kill his brother as soon as his dad dies. And so the mom says, Jacob, you've got to get out of here. So he does. And he goes away, and he's away for like 20 years, staying with his uncle, and he marries uh, multiple women, has children with multiple women, again, problematically. But, as, and, but God continues to use this. And then the time comes for him to go back home. The original plan, when he was sent away, was for him to go away until his brother had cooled down and no longer wanted to kill him. He's been away for about 20 years. And we talked about it last week, how he's on his way back home, and he hears that his brother has come out to meet him with 400 men. 
And Jacob was terrified. And so we saw last week how Jacob was afraid and how he stays alone throughout the night, but wrestling with some mysterious figure. And he says at the end of that um, that he names the place Peniel, for he had seen the face of God. This is where we pick up the story then. As Jacob still is not yet home, but in order to come home, he has to come face to face now with his brother, the same brother who wanted to kill him 20 years earlier, the same brother who has now come out to meet him with 400 men, the same brother that Jacob uh, not only has wronged, but now has tried to appease through sending gifts on ahead of him to hopefully soften him up before he arrives. The brother that Jacob has no confidence at all will receive him well. Here's how the story goes. This is Genesis 33, the whole thing. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Why is he approaching his brother bowing down seven times? What is he wanting his brother to see as he comes forward this way? I I am not coming to fight you. I am not coming to try to rule over you. I'm not coming to try to take anything from you like I've done in the past. I am coming now in recognition of the wrong that I have done, and I am coming as uh, one who is coming in humility, who says, you you are the one who gets to be the leader in this area. Uh, I will be content to serve you. This is what he's saying as he's bowing down to him. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. That verse right there. That's that's the verse of today. <laughs> Jacob was had no confidence that Esau was going to receive him well. Why not? I think this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. I'm not sure that Jacob's the kind of person who would have received him well, received his brother well, if he'd been treated this way. But perhaps he's the kind of person who would have held a grudge. And when he finally showed up, would have come out to meet him with 400 men ready to attack. I think that's the reason that Jacob mistrusts his brother, not because of who his brother is, but because of who Jacob is. Make sense? This will carry forward the rest of the story. But listen to how Esau actually responded. That despite Jacob's issues, despite Jacob's fears of how things might go, Esau responds by running out to meet him, embracing him, throwing his arms around his neck and kissing him. And they wept. Isn't that a beautiful scene? (laughs) That after all this time of separation, after all this time of anxiety, of how's this going to go, 
What kind of issues are we still going to have? And he gets to his brother and his brother's like, forget about all that. (laughs) I've got you here again. And I'm so glad to see you. Then Esau looked up and he saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what is the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all, that, all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, Let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, Then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth. After Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within, a, within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. And if you see in the footnote there, El Elohe Israel can mean El is the God of Israel or mighty is the God of Israel. This is Jacob finally coming home. We will get into more of what that looks like next week. But for now, we're just talking about this reunion with his brother and from both of their perspectives. You see, Jacob, as he comes home, did you notice there was a difference in how they talked to each other? Do you notice there was a difference in what they called each other? Jacob consistently refers to Esau as my Lord. Hmm. Esau, on the other hand, refers to Jacob as my brother. There is a difference of perspective happening here. Jacob is coming back to Esau knowing that he has done wrong and cannot imagine actual forgiveness. He understands that Esau has not attacked him, but he still doesn't trust him. But what we see in Esau is not any reason for distrust. What we see in Esau is genuine joy and excitement at having his brother back again. What we see in Esau is actual forgiveness of his brother and of this relationship that it can be healed if only Jacob would accept it. And sadly, what we see at the end, you, know, you see 
from Esau's perspective, his brothers finally come home. And so Esau is like, all right, you're here. Let's go. And Jacob's like, oh, no, 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 no. You go on ahead. We're going to have to go slow. You, All right, well, at least let me leave some of my men with you as a way of protecting you from everybody else around here. And Jacob's like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. Thank you anyway. And, of course, the reason that Jacob keeps saying no is because Jacob is still deceitful. He's still distrustful of his brother and won't go with him. And he won't let him leave his men with him. But instead, claims he's going to meet, I'll I'll meet you there later. And as soon as they're gone, he heads the other direction. And he doesn't just head the other direction because, well, I've got a little bit of business here to do and then I'll be by there later. It says that when he gets there, he... Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. He has no intentions of going on to meet his brother like he said he would. And so what we see uh, in this passage between these two brothers is one of them kind of has the arms open, willing to have a restored relationship. And the other one still has kind of his arms folded, standing at a distance, not sure they're really ready for this, not sure they can actually believe it or trust it. And I think that's, I think that's meaningful. I think it's very hard to receive forgiveness when you don't actually believe in forgiveness. I'm not sure Jacob here believes in forgiveness even though what we saw in the last chapter was him wrestling with God, God blessing him. And, um, and he even says to Esau now, when I see your face, it's like seeing the face of God. Why is that? Because he's receiving the same kind of, of reception from Esau where I'm getting kindness from you when I don't deserve kindness. That's what I've received from God. When I look at you, it's like looking at God. You're reflecting him. And we're, we're supposed to see that and go, yes, yes, that's right. So Jacob, you get it, right? You get it. So go with that. And yet he just can't bring himself to. And I think the reason why is because he just doesn't actually believe it. If someone were to do me wrong like that, I don't know if I could forgive them. Therefore, now that I've done wrong, I don't know that they can really forgive me either. It's probably just a ploy. It's probably just he's tricking me to get me in closer so then he can really do me in. No, Jacob, that's you. <laughs> Esau's never been, Esau has always been just right out there with how he feels. You've been the deceptive one. Don't you recognize this? So when Esau receives you openly and warmly, take it at face value. He actually is excited to see you, believe it or not. There are parts of the story that should sound familiar to us if we know our New Testament. There is a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. This already come to mind for some people as we're reading this. This is... The parable of a lost son talks about how there were tax collectors and sinners that were 
all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh-huh. So Jesus tells three stories. Here's the last one. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Hmm. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, so he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to, citizen, to a citizen of that country who sent him uh, to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The rest of the parable is about how the older brother refuses to welcome the son like to welcome his brother like this. Now, obviously, there are some details of that story that have been changed for one reason or another. Uh, so it's not a straight retelling of Jacob and Esau, but I think it's very connected. <laughs> that when Jacob says to Esau, and when he looks at his face, it's like looking at the face of God. That's getting it right. He is recognizing that the kindness that Esau is showing him is undeserved. It's just grace. That Esau is welcoming him, even though he doesn't deserve welcome. But that's what God does. (laughs) That's what God has already been doing in Jacob's life. And if he recognizes that, surely he can have his relationship with Esau restored, if only he believes it. This is what then Jesus uh, gets in trouble for and has to tell a story about, going back to this story and saying, think about this. This is that moment where Esau gets it right, welcomes the one who doesn't deserve to be welcomed because this is what God does. Let me tell you this story. And of course, in the story Jesus tells us, the father who goes out and welcomes. The same language, running out to meet him, throwing his arms around him and kissing him. This is the welcome. It's the welcome that God the Father has. It's the welcome that Esau the older brother has. And what he's saying to them is, this is the welcome that you all, you Pharisees and teachers of the law, the welcome you should have for these tax collectors and sinners. The welcome for the people who don't deserve to be welcomed. That's how you look like God in this world. But they don't get it. 
And they instead act like not Esau, but a different kind of brother, the kind that stands outside and refuses to come in and join in the celebration of grace and restored relationships, celebrating the one who was lost and is now found, who was dead and is now alive. So we go back. We go back to the story in Genesis 33 of Jacob who knows he's done wrong but doesn't really know forgiveness. Of Jacob who, even after his brother welcomes him, continues to refer to him as my Lord and continues to deceive for self-preservation when none of that is needed. Because Esau is doing whatever he can to let him know that's over. I welcome you. I forgive you. I love you. You are my brother. I hear that verse one more time. Two verses. Jacob went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Two points of application. Jesus tells us uh, as we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, right? I think these two are very much connected for Jesus. And I think one of the reasons why there are multiple, but one of the reasons why is it's hard to receive forgiveness if we don't believe in forgiveness. That we do tend to have this tendency of seeing in other people what's actually in ourselves. Which means, if we tend to be people who refuse to forgive others and hold on to grudges for everything because, well, they deserve X, Y, Z, Then we hear the message of a God who says to us, I love you and I forgive you. I know the things you've done and I forgive you. And we say, hmm, I don't know. Maybe that's not actually for me. Maybe that's for other people. But now we're just doing to God. We're just projecting ourselves onto him. And so we find it hard to receive forgiveness because we don't really believe in forgiveness. And so the first application for us then is to really look at whether or not we believe in forgiveness. Whether we've ever truly received forgiveness from God or whether we've done kind of like Jacob where we, okay, we'll, we'll take the hug, but then we're still going to be standoffish when it comes to our relationship with God. And we're still going to try to use a little deception and get away because maybe this is all just a trick. Maybe it's just a moment away from him pulling the rug out from under us. So if that's where you are, spend some time. Spend some time thinking and praying through this. This issue of can God actually be trusted when he says, I love you and I forgive you. And how has he shown that already? That he can be trusted. That's first. The second part of application is if this is who God is, 
if this is how he has revealed himself to us with this extravagant welcome and this grace, this welcome to those who don't deserve to be welcomed, grace to those who don't deserve grace, which is exactly what grace means. How do we who are created to reflect God into this world reflect him in this way? Are there those in our lives who don't deserve to be welcomed who we can welcome? Are there those who don't deserve to be forgiven that we can forgive? Are there those who don't deserve grace who we can show grace to? I'm betting there are. Let's be those who receive the forgiveness of God because we believe in the forgiveness of God and not only receive it, but be those who display it and show it to others. Not like the older brother in Jesus' parable who refuses to join in the celebration of the father, but like Esau, that older brother who welcomes, like Jesus, the one who shows us what God is really like as he welcomes those who don't deserve it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us in this world and in your word, and most of all in Jesus. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to see more clearly who you are, who we are in you as those who do not deserve forgiven and yet who you have uh, chosen to forgive anyway. And God, we pray that you would help us to believe this and to receive it. Lord, also to reflect this. Reflect who you are into this world. God, that others may come to know your grace and your mercy and your love and your generosity and your hospitality and your undeserved welcome. That help us to be those who represent you well as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.